0: Oh hi, it's Zach Peter, your new favorite pop culture guru, serving you the hottest tea three times a week. From the latest news on The Real Housewives, deep dives into celebrity legal scandals, unfiltered convos with your favorite stars, and of course, the latest from Vanderpump Land, I've got you covered. And new episodes of the podcast are now available in video on Spotify. And they don't just let anybody do video. But this platinum blonde has won them over. So if you want the latest news from the ultimate tea spilling professional, tune in to No Filter with Zach Peter. That's No Filter with Zach Peter on your favorite podcast app now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of All My Movies. We are continuing 90s action movie week with Michael Bay's second feature film, one of my favorite 90s action movies, one of my favorite action movies of all time The Rock from the summer of 1996, starring Nicolas Cage, Sean Connery, and Ed Harris. We are going to talk about this movie extensively, and I say we because my guest today is my schmodown teammate and action movie enthusiast Ben Bateman, perhaps known as Ben the Boss Bateman to many of you. But of course, as always, I do want to set the tone, set the stage, give you a little information about the background of this movie before we get into that discussion. But before we get to that, I want to thank you for watching the show, if you're watching us on YouTube, and listening to us if you are or an audio subscriber. If you want to help the show grow, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can subscribe to the audio podcast. That link is down below in the description. And if you're listening to us and you want to see the video portion of the show, you can find it on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Dan Merle movies. The Rock began as a spec script that was optioned by Disney from writers David Weisberg and Douglas Cook. And as is the reality with so many movies back then and still today, it was rewritten by a succession of other writers, including Aaron Sorkin and reportedly Quentin Tarantino. And each successive writer contributed an important part of what would become the DNA of the final movie.
1: And We brought in Mark Rosner, who did... Uh, a very good job on changing some of the characters and embellishing some of the characters. And and we made the villain kind of black. He wasn't black and white. He was more gray. He had very honorable intentions, uh, just using the wrong means. Jonathan Hensley came in, and he kind of gave us those great moments. He worked out a lot of the really tough stuff with the missiles and the green, the green balls and just, just really put his heart and soul and gave us huge movie moments.
0: Writer Jonathan Hensley's work was so extensive and so important to the script that when his name was left off of the finished movie due to a process in the Writers Guild called arbitration, the director of The Rock would write an open letter to the media criticizing the process and calling it a sham and a travesty. As the script was being reworked, producer Jerry Bruckheimer set his sights on the director he wanted to helm the action movie, and it was a director that he had just worked with in 1995's Bad Boys, starring Martin Lawrence and Will Smith, Michael Bay. Michael Bay was a hot commodity in Hollywood at the time. He was a fresh young director with a hit under his belt, and that's all you need to get some real heat in the Hollywood community. And Bruckheimer explains in this interview with Charlie Rose what he had to promise Bay in order to get him on board.
1: We told Michael... We made the last one with you, Bad Boys. We're going to make this one. We'll get you a great cast. We promise you that. And somehow we're going to fix the script. We're going to make this whole thing work.
0: Next on the list was securing a cast. And this was done by producers Jerry Bruckheimer and, in their last collaboration together... Don Simpson. Bruckheimer and Simpson had a lucrative producing career together, but their partnership dissolved in late 1995, preceding Simpson's death in early 1996. And even though Simpson's involvement with The Rock did not continue throughout the film, the two of them did start the casting process together. And as FBI chemical weapons expert Stanley Goodspeed, the pair set their eyes on an established Hollywood actor, a name, but not the first person you think of when you think action movie, Nicholas Cage.
1: But we hung in there for Nick. I would say for two and a half months, just trying to negotiate without going to another actor. We knew nothing about leaving Las Vegas. I didn't know about leaving Las Vegas till a week before it came out. Nick didn't even talk about it.
0: Cage wanted to bring an everyman quality to the character of Goodspeed, and in that vein, he wanted to stay away from a mainstay in R-rated action filmmaking foul language, as he explains in this interview with MTV in 1996.
2: I said, I, I, I want him to be a chemist who's a professor who loves his job and is a peaceful man and is doesn't want to swear. No matter what you do, you can't bring me to that point where I'm going to swear. How the name of Zeus's butthole is one of the ways to do it. You just take an extinct God, you know, and then add the word butthole or I want to cut the chit chat a-hole.
0: Cage's character was set to team up with an American secret agent who had once been in prison in Alcatraz, but the producing team also set their sights on casting a living legend to play John Mason, Sean Connery. And landing Connery meant taking extensive notes from the actor on the character that he wanted to play in the film.
1: I mean, Sean took his character and raised it to another level. Uh, it was his idea to, to have the character uh, have a, be a British agent that was caught you know, behind the lines, and then rolled over and forgotten by his own government, uh, and the Kennedy tapes, and, and, and I mean the Hoover tapes with Kennedy, and it was all Sean's idea.
0: When it came time to shoot the film, Michael Bay won an important battle. He fought the studio to shoot as much of The Rock on the Rock, something that I think really brings a real authenticity to the finished film. I wanted to uh, shoot on Alcatraz. The studio wanted me to shoot some pretty pictures there for three days and I went on a tour and my, my mouth dropped open and I said, we gotta this shoot the place. We got shoot half the movie here. This is where I usually get into an intensive breakdown of the movie and we're going to do this, but this week I'm doing it with my special guest, Ben Bateman. If you don't know him from the Schmodown, you may know him as part of Action Industries. He's been breaking down action movies for years at this point. This is a movie that he and I have talked about a lot and so this is kind of a co breakdown it's not just an interview we're going to talk about the entire cast ed harris the plot everything about this movie that's great a few things about this movie that aren't so great so let's get right into my discussion as we continue to break down the rock with my guest ben bateman When I decided to make this the focus of the show, there was one name that jumped to mind and it's mainly because when I told him I was doing an episode about this show, he said, you have to bring me on. And I agreed. He is known for his love, his enthusiasm of action movies. He's been on team action in the showdown. He helps run action industries. So his middle name is action. He also happens to be my current partner in the movie trivia showdown the other half of danger zone i'm very happy and we have we have talked about this movie just between the two of us so many times i'm happy to actually get it on tape ben bateman what's up man dan i'm so excited to talk about this movie now i i have
2: to have seen this movie i don't know 30 40 times in my life probably it's one of my earliest memories but i watched it again last night to make sure that i was totally and i caught new things which is the most exciting
0: feeling when you're in your 30s and you watch one of your favorites and you still get new things. I love that. We've ta- That's happened on the show so many times. I'll watch a movie that I know, even Jaws, which I've seen 50 times probably. Sometimes I'll be watching it and I'll see this new thing. I'll notice this something i never noticed before. And it's just like this adrenaline rush. Like you're still finding new stuff. I remember you and I and uh, Andrew Guy once were having a discussion um, on, on your channel and I mentioned that I loved this movie, and I think Guy was, like, shocked. He's like, what? I think some people might be surprised that, you know, I, I like this movie because I think there's this perception that I have a kind of some kind of highfalutin taste. But yeah. I will argue that The Rock is not an ironically good movie. The Rock is legitimately a great action movie. Oh, I think it's just a legitimately great movie. I think that The Rock
2: exists in this in this zone. Um, it's one of the reasons that Drew and I on Action talked so much about the five Tony Scott Denzel movies, because they all have the same sort of functional there's these really great dramatic moments buried between pretty thrilling action sequences, and then twenty percent of the movie is like silly one-liners and stuff that like kind of loses the ground of nature. And that's what The Rock basically is, is you have these moments where you're like if this movie was being made today by somebody who didn't want to do that stuff, you would cut out that one liner and you'd cut out the scene and it would be 25 minutes shorter. And it, like, a lot of that stuff would just be gone and the movie would just be better. But the fact that 80% of it is not that stuff is what makes this movie legitimately good.
0: Yeah, it's such a mix of the ridiculous and then, like, even sometimes scene to scene. It goes from crazy over-the-top, Nicolas Cage doing whatever the hell he's doing in this movie, Sean Connery being Sean Connery, kind of oh, yeah. wacky, almost cartoonish violence, and then this very grounded story about you know finding honor for Hummel's fallen son. And they just, they just they shouldn't work together. <laughs> this should be very dissonant. This should be like watching two different movies, and yet I think it's because of just Bay's style. I think Michael Bay's style works for this kind of movie. Somehow it works together. I can
2: tell you that when we used to do action movie anatomy, we did 250 episodes of that show and for every week for almost five years. And uh, we had three categories at the end of every episode. There was a which which category does the movie fit into? Is it totally ridiculous, totally legitimate or the middle category was ridiculously legitimate? And you'd always hope that the movies would fit the middle because that was the best category. And if you were going to explain to somebody what that meant, it was that the movie has tons of over-the-top stuff. So it is absurd. It loses you at points. Uh, but it also has moments that are that are like really dramatic. But the one thing that makes it that category is it has to have something that's sort of in the middle of this crazy action movie that feels like it could belong in an Oscar-winning drama. It's usually a performance. That tends to be what it is. It's, sometimes it's like a really magnetic single plot line or an idea or a score. In this movie, for me... It is Ed Harris as General Hummel, no question. He could have been nominated for an Oscar for this movie, I think, and it would have been fine.
1: Twenty of them were left to rot outside Baghdad after the conflict ended. No benefits were paid to their families. No medals conferred.
0: The way that we usually do the show is I'll do the rundown of the movie, and then we'll bring on the guest when I have a guest, and so we just kind of talk about the movie. But you and I have talked about this movie, and I know that you know this movie like the back of your hand. Oh, yeah. That we're, we're just going to run down the movie together uh, because... This it, it starts with Ed Harris. The movie starts. It is again. If you take the first two minutes of The Rock out here, you might be thinking that this is like an Oscar bait drama. You have the mournful music, the the rain, the the funeral, the the voiceover. This movie opens like a serious drama, and that's because Ed Harris is working at a level completely his own in this He's- movie.
2: He's bought into this character and to this story in a way that no one, and I wouldn't even say that no one else is trying to. It's just that Ed Harris is like legitimately the guy, and it's funny that Cage and Connery have both won Oscars and Harris hasn't. It just feels like he's the guy that's in the art house drama that steals the show. He's so intense. I mean, the movie literally opens with Ed Harris walking up to a grave and he looks at the grave and he solemnly says, I miss you so much. And you're just like, you're like, all right, I'm in. He cares. He cares about this grave. I need to know what's happening.
1: I miss you so much. There's something I've got to do, Bob. Something I couldn't do while you were here. Well,
0: you talk about this intensity. I I, I was looking at, because I always go over the special features. And one of the things that's on my Blu-ray copy of The Rock are the there are some outtakes. And usually oh. the outtakes are like zany bloopers, but then the outtakes in this movie are like Ed Harris like messing up and just screaming, like slamming scenery down, kicking stuff, cursing, and it's just like he seems like the most terrifying person in the world.
1: God willing, within the next 48 hours, he will evacuate this island under cover. God damn it! <laughs> By your ninth birthday, I was running black ops into China. My men were...
2: Oh, my goodness. He is over the top
0: in the best possible way. So you have this intense Ed Harris thing. Then you go into this sort of heist thing, and then it's like a, like a body horror movie because they're stealing this VX gas from this naval weapons depot, and, and you have to set the stakes and this movie does set the stakes very early on you have the you have the the, the canister break and then you got this guy who like he 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 melts He melts on screen, and I I remember I saw this movie. I couldn't see rated R movies when I was a kid, so I was thirteen when this movie came out. out. I was maybe fourteen, but I remember I was with my mom. We were on a trip somewhere. I don't even remember where we were, but they had this, you know, the the SpectraVision in the hotel room where you could rent rent the blockbusters of today. And one of them was The Rock, and I somehow convinced my mom to rent The Rock, which she hadn't seen. Usually, she had to have seen the rated R movie. And we got to that part, and I could tell immediately that she had regretted that decision. Because that is hardcore. Like, it that is. is intense. So this
2: movie came out in 1996. Um, I went to see it. I don't recall if I saw it in theaters. I think I didn't, to be honest. Um, my friend Nick Hathaway, who lived locally, he lived on a houseboat. And I went to see him. We would hang out every once in a while. And we rented this from, like, Hollywood Video or something. We watched it on his, on his TV, in his, in his, uh, on his houseboat. And the movie finished we looked at each other we're like what should we do and we're like let's just watch it again and we put it on and we watched it a second time and like i've always 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 had like the deepest love affair with this movie like i i feel like i probably watch it every year or two it seems like and that stuff you're talking about the the body horror stuff and specifically the the heist sequence i have certain visuals from that sequence that are like they're, like, tattooed on my brain. Like, there's that moment when they're walking past the pillar, and that guy, like, cartoonishly pops up with the green face paint. And he, like, turns around and shoots the two dudes. Like, I remember that scene, like, in my dreams. Like, as a little kid, I was like, that's what it's like to do a heist. You <laughs> pop up with
0: two guns. Like,
2: yeah, it's just the best.
0: So, we, we, we've we now set the, we set who the... I don't even know if he's the villain. I mean, I guess he's technically the villain. He's the antagonist to a point, although the other guys really become the anti- the real antagonist of the movie. But then okay, so you have to meet our heroes. And one of the things that that, that movies don't do as much anymore, action movies always do this. They they give your hero and I guess it's meant to humanize them. You give your hero like a little bit of business. Like a thing right. that's just like doesn't really have any consequence, but it's like this guy's quirky. And so we meet Goodspeed played by Nicolas Cage who was Hot off of winning an Academy Award, it's the first for leaving it's Las the Vegas, first
2: one that comes out after he wins for Las Vegas.
0: Yeah. So right off an Academy Award win, one of the craziest performance in an action movie ever. But what I love is that they introduce him by just as like I'm a Beatle maniac. Like for some reason they decide it's important for us to know that Stanley Goodspeed loves the Beatles.
2: Why don't you just spend thirteen dollars on a CD, man? First of all, it's because I'm a Beatle maniac, And second, these sound
0: better. Well, and, and it's even just this energy that he brings to it, because you have this thing, you have the doll, and... The gas, and it's this again. It's this very nineties, specifically eighties, nineties action movie thing where you have to have like a false action beat in the first twenty minutes because apparently people have to they're gonna walk out of the theater or something. I don't know. It's Like how Speed opens, like many. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You gotta have some kind of a crisis, Uh, but it's even when he goes home and it's and, and and he brings and that's what I think makes this movie one of the things that makes it so memorable is he's got this this energy that is so unique to this movie.
2: Stanley, at the time you said it seven and a half seconds ago.
0: Well, gosh, kind of a lot's happened since then. Look,
2: we're not even married.
0: I think part of it is, if you put any two lead actors in this movie, I don't think it works as well. It's just that Nick Cage works on his own frequency. Sean Connery is Sean freaking Connery. I mean, he's like the, like, the epitome of cool, and then Ed Harris, above all of them, on his level of energy, it somehow makes the stew that works for some reason.
2: Yeah, one of the things I I remember asking a guy, a friend of mine years ago, who worked on this movie. um, I remember asking him what what he thought it was that made those 90s action movies elevated in a way that, like, uh, non-IP today doesn't really seem to be elevated in the same way. And he was like, it was the producers hiring the best possible actors to play these roles. It was that they would go after people who were... They all were Oscar winners. They were trying to get like the most trained, committed people in these roles. And you realize that they sort of try to do the same thing nowadays, but they also try to make the movies that have Ryan Gosling and Oscar Isaac like more legitimate in some way. Whereas this movie is very clear in terms of. It's a Michael Bay movie. Like we're going to talk about all the different sort of like cinematic shots and moments that are iconic, but those yeah. are things that only Michael Bay does. And he continued to do it in stuff like Transformers. He just wasn't hiring the same caliber of actor anymore. He wasn't trying to get
0: those people. We have what would be the inciting incident in the other movie. It just happens to come like thirty minutes in in this movie, which is where we should probably meet Hummel and everybody else. Which is he comes in with his guy with his guys <clears throat> to Alcatraz. We meet Ranger Bob.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. What's the matter, fellas? Someone with the
0: tour? Tour's over, Bob. Another another thing that I love about these movies is there's always these characters that are on screen for like one minute, like the guy in the car in Speed that uh, that Keanu Reeves t- you know steals his car. Steals yeah. his car. So, like you have these like little mini movies inside. and You meet these tiny little characters. So we have Ranger Bob, who I always thought. Do you know So I Married an Axe murderer the movie? Yeah. I yeah. always wanted a shared universe movie. We can't have it now with Ranger Bob and then Phil Hartman.
1: Now, this is something the other tour guides won't tell you. In this particular cell block, Machine Gun Kelly had what we call in the prison system a bitch.
0: Almost got his Hans Gruber moment.
1: It's not our intention in any way to harm you. You will not be detained one minute longer than is necessary for us to complete our mission.
0: But this is what I think works. Is This is what I think makes him a great, again, if you want to call him a villain, he's definitely an antagonist to a point, is you get you get why he's doing it. He's got a noble reason for doing what he's doing.
1: These men died for their country, and they weren't even given a goddamn military burial. From these funds, reparations of $1 million will be paid to each of the 83 Marines' families.
2: He's got several monologues throughout the film that really sell you on the cause. And he sells those monologues in a way that almost, like, no actor alive, I think, would be able to. Every time one of his scenes ends, I feel like it always always ends when you think to yourself, like, I mean, I can understand buying into this guy's cause because like he is just so committed and so charismatic and he seems like he's doing it all with honor. They really, they really carefully um, throw in these little moments where it's like, those darts are going to wear off in 30 minutes. Like, right. Like a non-lethal strike or like, Hey girls, I need you to do something for me. Can you get back on? Right. He does all those moments so that you're like, okay, he's not really a bad guy. But also the thing that I think makes him such a compelling character for me is that because of his service record, because of how decorated he is that we find out in a minute in the hero qualifier, which is one of the best moments of the whole movie, but um, when, you, when you do find out, you realize that everybody looks at him with this level of esteem that's like, could, could you or I ever achieve anything in our lives that we would walk into a room with the kind of aura that Hummel walks around in the world with, where you, you like, you're like, you may be doing something criminal, but we understand there has to be a reason. You're too honorable and tactical for this to truly be an act of terrorism. I'll give you that credit. Their
1: families are told fairy tales about what happened to them. Well, I have choked on these lies my entire career. Well, here and now, the lies stop.
2: This is my favorite Michael Bay movie by a pretty wide margin. I I don't think he ever achieved, and I would honestly say that the reason is because he didn't have Ed Harris. (laughs) I mean, I, 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 think, I think that most of what makes this movie as special as it is is the big three, but I think yeah. it's that particular performance stands above anything else he's ever done in any movie in the rest of his career. It's, it's a more special, memorable thing to me than anything in Armageddon, anything in Transformers, you know.
0: Well, it's part of what makes Die Hard so memorable, which is that Die Hard, if you have Die Hard and you have Bruce Willis doing Bruce Willis stuff, and then every time you cut to away from Bruce Willis... They had just cast an actor who was, you know, fine. He was a, he was Hans Gruber. He was the terrorist leader. And you would just have this kind of filler scene where, well, you know, McClane can't be on this camera all the time, so we have to cut to the villain sometimes. You know, he's okay. But the fact that, that I think what makes this movie, yeah, it's, it's because every time you cut away from Connery and Cage, who are great to watch on screen, to a scene that in the hands of a lesser actor would have been just kind of obligatory villain stuff, it's just like, Entrancing because it's Ed Harris and he's doing what he does.
1: You made a terrible mistake and more of our brothers have died in vain. Damn you for forcing me into this position.
0: The thing that he also has that actually both sides have in common and we'll talk about the, the the good guys in a minute, but he's got a squad, which is like again, when you talk about best actors for the role, these aren't nobodies. You've got you've got uh, David Morse, who's a great dramatic actor. Incredible. You've got uh, Tony Todd, obviously. I did, I forgot until I watched this one that Bokeem Woodbine is Bokeem one of the Wood- guys. Yeah, young Bokeem Ro- Woodbine role. You've got John C. McGinley in there running around. That's right. Um, yeah, and then you have like the. The other thing that you see, Independence Day was great at this too. You have the the inside, the subset of the good guys. You have the bad guys inside the good guys. So in this one, it's John Spencer, who, of course, I know, I love him from the West Wing. which is weird for me to see because it's a similar role, but he's Womack, who's just a real slime ball.
1: You're on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know.
0: So now you know who both of these guys are. You have the stakes, which is they got hostages at The Rock, they've got the poison gas, one teaspoon of this stuff will wipe out eight city blocks. You know what's going on. We need a chemical specialist. Of course, who are you going to call in? You're going to call in Agent Goodspeed, who we've established is the best the FBI has
1: to offer. This isn't a train exercise, is it? No, Dr. Goodspeed, it's not a training exercise.
2: Also, one thing that I I think we haven't really addressed yet is the power of the device that the VX gas— like, that device in this movie, they seem like the worst thing imaginable. They seem worse than a nuclear bomb. Like, they're terrifying. And I think the fact that they are bright green and they're in this string of pearls and they're inside the rockets— there's just something about that device that drives the whole movie and does truly make the stakes feel insane
1: One teaspoon of this shit detonated in the atmosphere will kill every living organism in an eight block radius
0: He's both completely suited for the task but like he thinks he's gonna show somebody how to do it and then it's like oh no, we're gonna send you and then like he, so it's weird like they're able to make it so that he's both the only person for the job and a complete fish out of water right. which makes which is kind of the opposite of what Mason is so this is where we get to Mason. Played by Sean Connery. I mean, I would say... uh, I know some people may may like Finding Forrester. I'd say probably the last great role of Sean Connery's career. I mean, like, iconic Sean Connery role, you know? If
2: you think about his career in terms of, like, parts, you have, like, the James Bond era, and he's in stuff throughout that era, too. You have the, like... 80s is he still a leading man and he's in movies but not as many that matter but he does get his Oscar yeah there's a quick lull and then there's his basically I wouldn't even say it starts with Crusade it kind of starts with this movie actually and he rips off a few there it's like this does Entrapment he's got League he's got Finding Forrester there's a few really good ones in there you know and this is the last great one I think
0: yeah I mean I think that I think, yeah, I think Crusade probably ends the Untouchables era of his career. And, like, this is, like, the last rocket blast to the moon, like, back on top, number one movies. And then, you know, he retired and and, and stayed retired, which you don't see very often. So you got Connery. He's Have you heard about this theory? And I found it on, like, somebody put together this comprehensive theory. that the James that Bond was, theory, right? Yeah, that basically was able to merge this timeline and the James Bond timeline to say that, like, he is James. He is the cinematic James Bond that we've seen in the movies.
1: Oh, I was trained by the best British intelligence.
0: I mean, take intention out. He basically is. I mean, he's yeah. the the ladies' man. He's got the skills. He's a killer. I mean, he essentially is James Bond. It's just you can't call him James Bond. You call him James Mason. Um, yeah. I'm a sucker for a good interrogation room scene. I know it's used a lot, but it, it does a lot to establish sort of. A, the character of a person, you get, you know, how smart he is and just, you know, the smart-ass nature of him. And then it's a great way for him to meet Goodspeed because you have this kind of back-and-forth. And I love this false bravado that, that, that Goodspeed does. It's like, <laughs> can we unlock the passenger? Can we, can we, can, you know, can we get his handcuffs <laughs> off, please? You know, can we get a cup of coffee? You know, just like the fact that he's totally the not the alpha in the room.
1: Offer for me, coffee. Oh, yes. Well, that was, in fact, going to be my next... We got a cup of coffee in here, please.
2: It's a great interrogation scene. My feeling with this movie, and I don't know if you share this opinion, is that the the most cuttable sequence of this entire movie is pretty much the car chase. It's the only part of the movie that when I watch it, I'm always like, it doesn't really do anything for the movie other than just add one more action sequence, and I, I don't really need it. And yeah. so I kind of would almost rather just go from the interrogation scene into their going to the rock. Um, but, but this particular scene where you see him with the long hair and they're interacting and then he, with, the, with the, with like the quarter and the glass, like all that stuff is great. That's all really
1: wonderful stuff. Walmart. Why am I not surprised you piece of shit?
0: Yeah. There are two sequences in this movie that I don't think are necessary. We'll get to the other one later. It does give us inside of that San Francisco car chase. We get the Bay shot. We get the we, cir- we get the circling around Nick Cage shot, but I think the we could have gotten that elsewhere. I, I. I'm not afraid to acknowledge flaws, and I will say, I think that's a good 20 minutes in this movie right there that could just go out the window, and you're not going to really lose much.
2: What do you say we cut the chit-chat?
0: A-hole! We'll continue our journey deep into the heart of Alcatraz in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Monk Pack, who makes snacks that taste like your favorite sugary treats, but with one gram of sugar or less. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain one gram or less of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and are only 150 calories. They're great for people that are trying to eat better, cut back on those calories, or just have an overall healthier lifestyle without sacrificing taste. What's great is that I can keep these bars in the pantry right with everything else that tastes great. I can grab one. I love all of the flavors, and it is satisfying. It fills me up. It's a quick eat. It's healthier than most everything else that I would have grabbed for anyway, and it's something that can keep me going through. the day they also come in great flavors like sea salt dark chocolate caramel sea salt and peanut butter dark chocolate that one is my favorite the combination of those two flavors with the great texture is really what i go for but you really can't go wrong no matter which flavor you choose no matter what your situation is it's a great snack on the go and they are gluten-free plant-based and non-gmo with no soy trans fat sugar alcohols or artificial colors And if you take a liking to one of the flavors like I have, you can also sign up to get subscribed to your favorite flavor so that you never run out. And if you do that, you get 10% off of every order that you subscribe to to keep you restocked with snacks that are healthy and make you feel good. Try it for yourself and you'll see. And I have a special deal for my listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting MonkPack.com and entering our promo code MOVIES at checkout. And Monkpack is so confident with their product, it's backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. To get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's m u n k p a c k.com and select any product. Then enter the code MOVIES at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monkpack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on, and I'd like to thank them for sponsoring the show
1: show us on the blueprints i can't my blueprint was in my
0: head so after this diversion we're back on track we're going to the rock and then we meet our second squad so we've got homo squad now we've got the squad of marines that are going out there to the rock led by michael bean maybe one of the most underappreciated actors ever commander anderson in this
2: movie is uh is such a legend it like he, he, he shows up i've i've given i used to run this fantasy football league i guess i still do but we used to do drafts at six in the morning we did the bar we worked at so we had to get the bar and they'd let us use it from six to ten on the weekend before uh and i would give this speech at 601 before the draft started and i would always rip lines from my favorite movie speeches and so i totally used that line one year where it's make no mistake gentlemen
1: we are in the fight of our lives Against maybe the greatest battalion commander in the Vietnam War, I shit you not.
0: So we get to The Rock. You have the most... And again, this is where I talk a lot about when you're watching a movie. Sometimes you just have to acknowledge that it's a movie. Because if you want 100% reality, or if you're taken out completely of a movie by something that's not 100% real, then you're not going to enjoy any movie. Because there's a certain amount of unreality that you have to accept. For this movie, it's the fact that Alcatraz would have an open outside entrance that is a completely useless labyrinth of <laughs> rotating wheels uh flames uh, going at different uh timing uh j- none of that makes sense whatsoever but it's really cool he timed it and he remembers it. 30 years later this guy's got to be a genius welcome to the rock The only thing that I – and I understand why you have to do it because – well, I, I almost feel like if you hadn't spent so much time with the San Francisco scene earlier that I don't think really adds a whole lot, you could have spent more time with the Marines because that's the only thing that I don't like is I like these guys. I, you know, you have a great cast, and yet almost immediately after they get into The Rock – you have the, the shower room scene where they, they trip they trip the sensors, the Marines are down below, Hummel's guys are up above, and then you have this incredible back and forth between Ed Harris and Michael Bean. That's, again, it's its own little mini movie in the middle of
1: this movie. You tell your men to safety their weapons, drop them on the deck. I cannot give that order! I am not going to repeat that order! I will not give that order! What the hell is wrong with you, man? Stand
2: fast! It is the single best sequence in the movie, in my opinion. It's the most memorable scene. Uh, It's always the thing that I come back to. And the exchange between Harris and Bean I cannot give
1: that order! Stand
2: down! (laughs) Like, that's so good. And it also sets up, like, it, the 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 music that's playing the shootout that cut when uh, Danny Nucci comes up and it cuts to Michael Bean who's already been shot and he's like on his side and he pulls out the gun and he's like, hey! and he's like <laughs> as a kid watching that I was like this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life uh, plus you've got the shot the weird shot where it cuts to Tony Todd and he's like. Hey. <laughs> he's like laughing as he's killing the guys. Like it's just like so intense. It sets up that Spore Leader and Todd are just so clearly like the evil, the evil mercenaries. Let's watch. Oh, yeah.
0: this. The idea like Michael B. One of the thing, reasons he's so good is like, he's so earnest. Like it's, he, br- he brought the same thing to, to Kyle Reese, which is just like, he, Gives his performances like such 100% commitment. You believe every word that's coming out of his mouth that when he's just like,
1: But like you, I swore to defend this country against all enemies, foreign, sir, and domestic.
2: It's also tragic as a kid because you want the good guys to win. Yeah. This was one of the moments as a kid I can remember watching a movie for the first time where I was just like heartbroken. I was like, how all the heroes die? All the good guys die? What?
0: It's very interesting the way that movies do this because I remember this this concept of things not being fair. I remember watching Mystery Men when it came out back in 1999, and there's the scene where, like, the whole movie they're trying to keep Greg Kinnear's superhero character from dying, and you know he's like invincible, he's like Superman, and, you know he's an a hole, he's definitely an a hole, but still he's like good, and he's and and Jeffrey Rush is bad, and then there's this scene where like the good guys push the wrong button and this thing comes down and it just deforms Greg Kinnear's face and he's dead he's just gone <laughs> I mean I know it sounds weird to be like oh mystery men opened my eyes up to the reality of life but it, it is in a fictional way it did in a really weird way because this movie it's kind of similar where these guys you think maybe a couple of them are should make it should make it through because they're good guys and yet they get just wiped off the map immediately they're instantly they're are- There are scenes that I think sort of objectively
2: are effective in movies. It's one of the things that I think as a critic, you sometimes have to step outside of yourself to remember like, maybe I'm jaded or maybe this is affecting me in a way because I'm watching this for the first time in my 30s. But like there are scenes in movies that I can remember watching as a child. The horse sinking into the quicksand and never ending story comes to mind. Mm -hmm. The opening sequence to Up, which I I wasn't a kid when it came out, but I mean like I was younger. That just like the first time you watch him, you're like, well, I mean, I'll never forget this. Like, I'll never forget the first time I saw the shower room shootout because I couldn't imagine in my mind that the good guys were all going to not get, like, taken down. They were all going to die. They yeah. all get shot to death. None of the bad guys die. It's like a horrifying scene if you're, you know, nine or however old
0: I was when I watched it. So, but what this does do, and I think what the function of it, though, does, is you it sets up Connery and Cage.
1: Are you sure you're ready for this? I'll do my best. Your best. Losers always whine about their best.
0: Which I love they put that part in the trailer, but not the second part.
1: Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. Carla was the prom queen.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, like that interaction's incredible. Um, All their stuff. One one thing, our our friend Brendan Meyer was in a film with Cage uh, last year, two years ago, called Color Out of Space. And I was asking him a little, just a little bit about Uh, cage and like working with him and some of the stuff and and what he told me was like when you work with him you actually see a lot of the stuff that creates the like Zeus's butthole and those weird deliveries because he's so free as an actor in the moments to try whatever literally whatever comes to mind for him he's not he's just not inhibited at all he doesn't feel any like if I say this, this is weird. People will judge me. Is this going to work? Like he just tries it and he tries it and he tries it. And eventually they find one that they like. And I think it's kind of one of the charming things about him. But the difference between him trying that in like 2017 and trying that in like 1996 after winning an Oscar is that like after winning an Oscar, everyone's probably like do whatever, bro. (laughs) You're a genius. So like, go get it done. And like, He's just continued to do a lot of that same wild stuff throughout his entire career. And I think that in itself is kind of a testament to, I guess, I don't know if we'd call it the genius of Nick Cage, but it creates a lot of his most memorable stuff, you know, and that's what a lot of those interactions with Mason are. I mean, I I think the fact that he goes for the character that he does in this movie is one of the things that makes it the movie that it is. It's such a unique thing.
0: You know,
1: I like history too, and maybe when this is all over, you and I can stop by the souvenir shop together. But right now, I
2: just... I just I want to find some rockets.
0: Now we get to the the end game, which is, and I like that this movie does this um, because you you don't just have a villain or an antagonist or whatever you want to call Hummel, who's you understand why he's doing what he's doing, but you you have basically he he does have a limit.
1: This mission was based on the threat of force. I'm not about to kill 80,000 innocent people. Do you think I'm out of my mind?
0: And then you realize that the real bad guys on this island are not him. It's yeah. everyone else. Order the launch, General.
1: Come on, General. Let's be all we can be.
0: They do something that they kill the bad. They They kill what you think is the primary antagonist 30 minutes before the movie's over. Which is, yeah. I think is kind of surprising, to be honest. It's a star like Ed Harris. You don't expect that he's going to go out that early, and yet he's gone. God,
1: what have I done? Where's the last rocket? Lower Lighthouse. Lower Lighthouse!
0: Go! So now you have basically this revolving series of, you know, it's like, it's like a video game. you got to get through each one of these bosses. I love the Rocket Man gag. Do
2: you like the Elton John song, Rocket Man? I don't like
0: soft-ass shit. Oh,
2: well, you know,
0: Well, I only bring it up because
2: uh, it's you. You're
0: the rocket. man. Oh, Tony Todd. I love that he's got like two deaths. Like he's got, he gets the double death, which, you know, you're a bad guy in an action movie. If you get the double death, he gets taken out of the window by the rocket, which is in its own amazing. Like if he, if that had been the way he went out, that'd be great. And then, and then he gets the dropping off the rocket impaled on a spike death. I mean, he gets the double death and then, and
2: then it does set up the final the, the spore leader uh, with the, with the thing in the mouth oh. and the adrenaline. Like that's another one of those things as a kid that I'll never forget is when he smashes it in his mouth. After you've already seen the guy melt earlier, you're like, that is crazy. Oh,
0: this is going to be really bad.
2: Cause yeah. yeah. Cause it's,
0: and then he's got like, I mean, they, they really make a meal out of it because he like comes up, he's like throth. It's like just foaming coming out of his mouth. Uh, and then good speed stabs himself in. Uh, listen, I'm no scientist, but just anatomically, <laughs> And I don't know why nobody brought this up. Wherever Nick Cage slash Stanley Goodspeed stabs himself, it is most definitely not his heart. It looks to be... It's it's like here. It's like like underneath his sternum. It's like maybe the upper part of his intestine, but it it works. So, you know, he survives, which I guess is the point. They also don't explain ever what the
2: giant syringe is or how it works in a way that I can, like, understand. Because, like, you're telling me that if, if you breathe or get any of this stuff on your skin... You, like, spit your guts out and spasm so bad you break your back. But it's already in the air as this guy is frothing everywhere. And if you inject yourself in the heart, it totally invalidates
0: the poison. Like, it doesn't affect you at all. I I never got that. There's a physiological reality to being exposed to this gas that I don't quite know what the injection (laughs) in the heart really does for you other than maybe keep your heart beating while you're writhing in agony as your face melts off, but... Again, it's the thing with the movies. Like you're gonna go with it or you're not. What it really does is it just sets up. Like again, when you talk about '90s action shots, one of the best. You know, the green flares uh, coming out to call off the airstrike, so that they're not going to bomb Alcatraz to vaporize with this thermite, experimental thermite that they've been developing. But then just this great shot of like Cage screaming with the flares, and the they drop the bomb, and just like coming up out of the ground and the explosion. I mean, again, that is pure '90s, pure Bay. This is, I've been talking about summer of 96. This has come up a lot of times. Last week, we talked about a movie that came out in 96. We talked about Twister a few weeks ago. Like, this was a really great merging this summer of like technology and like old school filmmaking because that sequence, this shot with the CG and stuff, like, there's obviously some great, some assistance with computer graphics and stuff, but it wasn't all digital it didn't look fake still it was actually being able to like do things like that shot coming up with the explosion and stuff that like yeah you could not do that practically before but you're still mixing in enough practical that it's just it just marries each other and it looks really awesome
2: yeah and it's also like the total like you know it's like he's exhausted and you could you can't believe he's pulled it off that's actually one of the things watching it this time through that really stood out to me was you realize now when you watch it as you're older, like the stakes that they set up, that it's this is the guy that's going to have to do it and why it's so remarkable that he actually pulls it off. Whereas a kid, I don't even think I thought about it as a kid. I was like, well, of course he's going to pull it off. He's this the hero of the movie. Like, what kind of movie would this be if he didn't? But then right. as an adult, you're like, he didn't have to be able to pull it off. He could have just died. Like, that's what. And if this wasn't this movie, they could have just killed him.
0: But he does pull it off, of course. And, uh, you know, the, the hostages are safe. Part of Alcatraz gets wrecked. But nobody, you know, the bad guys are gone. Uh, Mason gives Goodspeed the location of his... Uh, the the intelligence that he got thrown in jail for life. Because if that Goodspeed, I don't think I'd go get it. Because I know if I get caught, I'm getting thrown in a hole for
1: life. Well, it's been a long time since I've said thank you to anybody. But thank you.
0: I also love that, you know... Goodspeed basically lets Mason off the hook, says, uh... So where's Mason?
1: Vaporized. Blown out to sea.
0: And then John Spencer just being completely, uh, I want want to see his body. I want to uh, just... I love John Spencer. (laughs) He was such a great actor. Vaporized? A body can vaporize? Oh,
1: yeah. Absolutely
0: so. We end with, uh, Mason back in the world, hopefully reunited with his daughter, and Stanley, now uh, one of my, last fa- my, my favorite last lines of any movie ever, which is...
1: Honey? Uh, wanna who really killed JFK?
0: I've, I've said before I think that The Rock is the best 90s action movie, but there's a lot of competition. There really is. It is definitely top five, probably top three. Any given day, I might say it is still the best. But of all of the 90s action... What do you think is the one thing that's just like, this makes it stand out?
2: Well, it's hard when you say 90s action because it includes movies from both 91 and 99. So you have T2 and The Matrix both in there, which is like a, that's like a really tough barometer. You're dealing with different types of movies. Yeah. So for this genre, and Point Break, which is like my favorite ever, um, this genre of action, I think it's, you have to say it's like top three Um, you know, you're comparing this movie probably more to a point break, more to a speed, a con air, a face Mm -hmm. off. That's like the movies that this is more sort of in line with. Um, you know, for that type of movie, it's the best or it's close to it. If it's not the best, it's like this. And I mean, personally, I love point break. If you're talking about like impactful and like memorable action movies, I don't know how you can really put this ahead of Matrix or T2 because that's like two of the most important movies ever made. Um, but I also find this movie to be rewatchable in a way that almost none of the rest of the ones I just mentioned is like, or are, um, rewatching it last night for what felt like maybe the 30th or 40th time. I just couldn't believe how into it. I was every sequence, every second, the music is perfect. It's like, I used to work with a bartender whose brother, I think did the music or assisted on the music for this movie. And I remember he was like, they watched the first cut of the movie and like, you know, it didn't have the music yet. And Bay said to him, like, I need this movie to be exciting in every frame from the second the credits start until the second the credits roll. I need this movie to be exciting always, which is like why I think you just have that dun, 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 just going the whole time. I mean, it's very similar to Pirates of the Caribbean. It's got a lot of Pirates of the Caribbean in it. You know, it, it, it's very similar to a lot of those other Hans Zimmer late 90s, early 2000s scores. There's yeah. there's there's just similar elements. But I also think that the switch between those moments and the big sweeping, like, stuff that's playing behind the shower room shootout and the stuff that's playing in the sequence at the funeral—or not the funeral, the graveyard at the beginning— like. The, the, and then there's that weird flute thing they go to a couple times. It's what starts playing at the end when he's talking to him or when he's talking to Jade. It's, it's almost uh, like Lord of the Rings. Almost.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's very weird. It's very yeah.
2: hobbity. Yeah, it's really hobbity. Is this what I think it is?
0: Mason? This is something that I always like to ask guests. If, if, you, if there's somebody that comes up to you and says, oh, I've never seen The Rock. What do you tell them to convince them to watch it?
2: Well, it's funny you say this because I have a friend of mine right now who's he's in a big action movie kick. He he like he's my best friend since we were, or one of my best friends since we were little kids. He found our podcast recently. He's been going through and watching episodes of the podcast. He's going down the list of the movies we covered. And today I was on the phone and I was like, "Have you seen The Rock?" I'm talking about it later today. And he's like, "No." Should I watch it? And I was like, "Yeah, like a sweet general." who was super, you know, was supervising a bunch of soldiers that died between, behind enemy lines, takes over Alcatraz with 81 hostages to try to restore uh, some money to their families. Nick Cage and Sean Connery have to do an underwater incursion to try to take back the island to eliminate San Francisco getting blown up by a crazy chemical weapons rocket. And he's like, that sounds insane. I was like, yes, <laughs> it is insane.
0: Uh, I mean, you know, we, we're, we're, it's part of, like, as you get older as a movie fan, like, we take for granted that people know what The Rock is This movie's 25 years old. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, this is the quick
2: schmodown corner, you know, but like, you know, you and I obviously compete in the schmodown. And one of the things that you talk about all the time when you get asked about a movie in the show is, why are they writing about that movie? And it's like, there are these movies that we grew up with that seemed like when we were growing up, like they were these iconic standard essential movies, but the more years that pass, if there's not some reason for that movie to be back on the radar, if it's not like coming up because there's a TV show or a remake or that actor's having a Renaissance certain movies that we grew up thinking, this is just like a movie that everyone will see forever. They just fall out of the consciousness. I think we were talking about hunt for right October recently. Like when I was growing up, hunt for right October was like, was like the rock. It was a movie that everybody loved and saw and talked about all the time. No one talks about The Hunt for Right October anymore. That movie is just... It's a relic of the early 90s that, like, w- is still great, but it's by no means The Rock. It isn't, you know... I'm trying to think, like, movies that are a little later. It's, it's not even... It's, like, not The Fast and the Furious. Like, The Fast and the Furious 1 is 55 times more significant than Hunt for Red October, and Hunt yeah. for Red October is 55 times the movie. That is
0: very true. That is very true. 55 times the... Just about everything. It, it's, yeah, I mean, because there weren't, you know, Jack Ryan died out. You've got the John Krasinski show, but, you know, people aren't going to go back to a movie with, you know, Alec Baldwin in it. But, yeah, it is it is crazy to, to, to see the canon, to see the canon evolve and what people remember, what people don't remember. This is the kind of stuff, Ben, that you talk about all the time. Um, tell people about, you know, number one, where they can find you, also about action industries and the kind of stuff that uh, you talk about over there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Andrew Guy and I, we did a podcast for a long time called Action Movie Anatomy. We're not doing that podcast now, but we do streams and talk about movies all the time over on Action Industries. Um, That's really, really fun. We have a bunch of cool stuff coming up over there. And then... um I'm not sure exactly when this is coming out, but on the 28th of June, uh, the second song from my upcoming solo album as a musician is actually coming out, which I'm really excited about. I just go by my own name, but you can find all that stuff over at youtube.com slash nerds in suits, and I'll be on tour in the winter, uh, November, flying all over the U.S. playing shows, so I'm really looking forward to that as well. Awesome.
0: Well, partner, we talk a lot, you and I. We'll, we'll be do. back on the phone uh, slash uh, <laughs> video. I say the phone because I'm old and everything is the phone to me. Uh, but we'll be studying up for uh, the Schmodown. I, I I pray for the day when we get a five-pointer, and it's in the category of Ed Harris, and it's this deep-cut rock question that we be Oh, my know. God. Cause that, that would be amazing. But, uh, yeah, you can see both of us on the Schmodown. The season is far from over. Lots of stuff coming up. Oh, yeah. We may well have. Where Ben, you're one victory away. We may well have a a, a head-to-head a match coming up Third very soon. time, it's Ooh. possible.
2: Yeah, I got to I got to so. we'll take down Ethan Irwin, which will be live coming up here in
0: about a week. So yeah, uh, be a getting ready for that. Big day for the dungeon if we can make that happen. But uh, Ben, thanks for coming on the show. Always great to talk about a movie that uh, we both love. Yes, man. Thank you so much for the invite. This was this was a treat. That was such a great discussion, and one of my favorite things to do is to talk movies with Ben Bateman. I know that we are competitors both alongside each other and occasionally against each other, but one of the things that I love doing is just talking about movies with the guy. He has an extensive knowledge, as his schmodown history will prove, and it was so much fun breaking down The Rock with Ben. The Rock opened on June seventh, 1996, topping, among other movies, last week's subject of this show, Mission Impossible, another film featuring Sean Connery, but only his voice, Dragonheart, Twister, which we talked about on the show a few weeks ago, and the Billy Zane superhero movie, The Phantom. Despite mixed critical reviews, Gene Siskel gave it a mixed thumbs down, while Roger Ebert gave it three and a half out of four stars. The Rock was a financial success, and it ended up with just over $130 million. Now,
1: all that stands between a city and a disaster is a man who's never seen combat, your chemical freak, and another. Who's been out of action for 30 years?
0: The Rock added another $200 million internationally to bring the gross up to just over $333 million worldwide off of a reported $75 million budget. And both domestic and worldwide, if you don't adjust for inflation, it is also Sean Connery's second highest grossing film of all time behind Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. The Rock was nominated for one Academy Award for Best Sound, it lost to the eventual Best Picture winner, The English Patient, and it also won the coveted MTV Movie Award for Best On-Screen Duo for Connery and Cage. It's also just one of my favorite movies all time to watch. It's a great movie for any occasion. I've played it on birthdays. I've played it at parties. I've played it just on nights when I need a pick-me-up. I love The Rock. I hope you love The Rock, too. And if this was your first experience with the movie, seek it out. It really is a great little time capsule of what 90s action filmmaking was all about. Thank you so much for watching this episode about The Rock. We're going to be wrapping up 90s Action Month next week. It's actually going to be an archive episode. So if you're an audio listener, you've heard this episode before at the very beginning of this year. If you're watching us on YouTube, this episode has actually never been uploaded to this YouTube channel. It was uploaded to the show when it was over on the Shmodan Entertainment Network. But we are going to be releasing an archive show Air Force One starring Harrison Ford. This was one of my favorite episodes that we did going into that show. So if you want to relive that, or if you're a watcher here on this channel and you have not seen the Air Force One episode, you can look forward to that next week. We'll be back with all new episodes in two weeks, right as we kick off the month of July. Thank you so much for watching. As I mentioned before, if you're listening to us and you want to see the audio, you can see it on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash movies And if you are watching us and you want to hear the audio version, you can subscribe to the audio podcast podcast right down there in the description below. I'll be back next week with the archive episode on Air Force One, but until then, it's time to go back on the shelf. See you next time.